Wow. I'd like to welcome you once again to Graceland Baptist Church. My name is Ryan Brown. I serve as one of the pastors here. And I don't know about you, but I, I just, I get an overwhelming sense of excitement for what the Lord is doing in our midst. And this morning, as we open his word, let us never take for granted the power that it has to transform our lives. And so as I say each and every time I preach, pray that your affections for Jesus Christ would either begin today or grow because of the preaching of God's word. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to this place, for singing praises that are due your name for singing praises that are due the name of Jesus Christ. May he be lifted high this morning. May he be glorified. May your Holy Spirit abound in this place. God, and I pray that you would just move mightily, work in this room. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you know me very well, then you know that uh, I'm a sports guy. It's been a rough weekend for me, though. My Hoosiers lost, my Colts lost, but we'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe. But I'm a sports guy. I like watching sports on TV. I grew up playing sports. I still try to play sports as best as I can in my 30s. But in addition to that, I would also consider myself a music guy. I like to play guitar. I like to sing. Um, I like to listen to all different types of genres of music. And I would say that music was a huge catalyst in my marriage, And what I mean by that is in high school, I really got to know my wife, Jenny, because we had three years together of choir. And so music has always been and will always be a huge part of my life. Now, what you may not know about me is that I also have done a bit of drama. may surprise some of you. When I was a freshman in high school, I tried out for the school play. It was called Grease. Um, Now, I had to be in that play because as a freshman in choir, you had to be part of the play. But when I was a senior, I also tried out for one other play. In New Albany High School, they did Showboat my senior year. And I tried out for a couple different reasons. I auditioned because my music teacher, Mrs. Derungs, she told me that, Ryan, I think you would be a good fit for this play. All right, they need some guys. I think you would be a good fit. I know you've never really done drama at New Albany, but I think you could do a good job. And I was like, okay, that sounds pretty good. But the main reason I tried out is because, once again, Jenny was going to be in the play. All right? So I knew for a fact that she was going to be in the play. So I thought, hey, man, what better way to spend time with her for this? Now, the audition process for the play three different things. And I was told, you're going to have to commit to this. You're going to have to work hard during this audition process. You're going to have to sing, you're going to have to dance, and you're going to have to act. And so naturally, like what I did as a high school boy who did sports, I didn't practice any of those things. (laughs) And so I showed up to the audition and bombed it. It was awful. A few days later, they put up the cast list for who was going to be in the play. And I had a a wide array of emotions and reactions to the cast list. First of all, I was ecstatic because the first name on the list was none other than Jenny's name. She was the lead role in the play. I was like, sweet, this is good. All right, things are good so far. Next, I had a, a, a reaction of surprise because I actually noticed that my name was on the cast list. A bit surprised considering how awful the audition was. But then I was a little bit bummed out because I noticed that my part didn't have a name and I didn't recognize the part. So I rationalized at that point 
that it was really my inabilities to sing, to act, to dance in drama that I didn't get a good part in the play. And in actuality, I decided not to be in the play at all. Looking back, I, I realized that it really wasn't my inabilities to sing, act, or dance that, that didn't get me a, 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 main, a main role in the play. Rather, it was my lack of commitment to learning the parts needed to have a good audition. It was also my lack of commitment to take a small role in the play that kept me from being in it. You see, the issue, it wasn't my competency, but rather my complacency. The issue wasn't my ability, but rather my availability. Maybe this morning you're confused about some things in your life, just like I was confused back then. Maybe for you, your marriage is troubling right now. Maybe you think that your ability as a husband or as a wife is lacking, and therefore your marriage is in trouble, when in actuality, maybe it's, it's your commitment to your marriage that's the issue. Maybe for some of you, as a parent, you think, man, I am just not as gifted as a parent as somebody else, and so therefore I, I'm not as good as a father or a mother. But in actuality, maybe it's your commitment to being a father and a mother in your home. Maybe for some of you students, um, you're thinking, man, I'm just not as gifted as some of my classmates at school. I don't have the same abilities that they do, but in actuality, it's your commitment. You know, school's just not as important to you. Whatever the case may be, I believe that we've all done this in life. We attribute our inadequacies to our inability, but in actuality, our inadequacies are a result of our irresponsibilities. This morning in our second week of this series, Family Matters, we turn our attention to the topic of home life. And regardless of whether you come into this worship center with the best, most fabulous home life, or you're coming in today with a very difficult home life, I would encourage you with this. I would encourage you with this. Your commitment to God, not your abilities as a husband, a wife, a grandparent, a student, fill in the blank. Your commitment to God can and will transform your home life. For you, for your spouse, for your kids, for whatever family you live with now or might live with in the future. Let me say that one more time. I think it's important. Your commitment to God, not your abilities as a husband, a wife, a grandparent, a student, a child, fill in the blank. Your commitment to God will transform, I believe, can and will transform your home life. For you, for your spouse, for your kids, for whatever family that you live with now or will live with in the future. Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, we're going to begin in verse 1. I'll be preaching from the ESV translation. Um, so if you're following along on your tablet or your phone, you're welcome to go to that translation with me. As you're flipping there, I want to do a couple things. First of all, I want to recap for you what happened last week. We kicked off this Family Matters series. Pastor Larry Riley, our lead pastor, he did a fantastic job unpacking for us how marriage matters. If you were not here, you're able to, to catch up on that online. I'd, I'd encourage you to, to check that out. But he exposited for us Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. He gave us some ground rules as to what a godly marriage looks like. If you weren't here, you should write these down. God's wisdom defines marriage. God's word is our guide to marriage, 
And God wants you to love him more than your marriage. Let me say those one more time. God's wisdom defines marriage. God's word is our guide to marriage. And God wants you to love him more than your marriage. This morning, as we look to the subject of home life, I want to unpack for us Psalm 78. And first, I want to set the stage as to what we're jumping into. I think it's always important that we look at context and background when we read from God's word. Psalm 78 um, is written by a man named Asaph. Now, most of the Psalter, or what we call the Psalms collectively, all 150, are written by King King David. However, this one is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was a Levite. He was a music leader in the service of King David, which you can read about in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. This is a pretty lengthy psalm, 72 verses in total. And it gives a lot. Tells us a lot about Israel's history and specifically shows how disobedient Israel was up to the point of David. But it also shows for us God's mercy from the time of the Exodus when God had taken his people out of Egypt until this time of King David. So I would say on one hand, it's a very sobering psalm. It's a very sobering psalm because it reveals how stubborn, how hard-hearted God's people were. And I think that also kind of speaks to where many of us are today. But on the other hand, this psalm inspires us because it gives us hope as sinners and reveals how just how good and how gracious are and how good and gracious God was for his people then and how good and gracious God is for his people now. So with that as our setting, let's read Psalm 78, beginning in verse one. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that, we have ne- things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Verse five, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This morning for us, I want to hone in on these particular verses, and I honestly and truly believe that these verses will help us in our home lives. They will help you lead in your home life. They will help you participate in your home life and be a family member in your home life. And while I, I, I surely recognize that this psalm, it wasn't written to specifically address like a modern biblical family and what it should look like, I do believe that this psalm was written to address the inadequate condition of God's people in reaching their children and the next generation. So for us today, home life is a significant place where this topic should be addressed. Therefore, if you're a married person or if you're a single person with children, lean in, lean in this morning. If you're a grandparent, if you're a grandparent, lean in. If you are married without children, if you're single, if you're a student, 
no matter what the case is, I believe that these realities will speak into our lives and help construct a model for what a biblical home life should look like. So with that, I want to encourage and remind you, it's not your capabilities in these roles, but rather your commitment to them. So first of all, we read that we must foster a home life that speaks. I believe that we must foster a home life that speaks. Let's look back to verse four. We see here that Asaph encourages his people to tell to the coming generation about the Lord, about our God. So therefore, in our homes, we must speak about God. We must speak about God. And how do we do this? Well, verse four tells us. It says, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And the wonders that he has done. So Asaph, Asaph he doesn't start by telling us, hey, we're going to look to God's law. We're going to look to what we should do and what we shouldn't do, although we'll get to that later. He says, we're going to start by telling of the glory of God and what he's done. One of my favorite people in life that my wife never had the pleasure of meeting is my grandmother Jane, my dad's mother. All right, my grandmother Jane was a wonderful human being. Even though Jenny never met her, if you were to ask Jenny about my grandmother, she would say that she was a wonderful woman. How would she know that? Because I've told her. I've told her. I've told her about all the wonderful things that she had done. And so she knows, she feels like she knows my grandmother, even though she never met her. Now, I could have started and said, hey, my grandmother, she has these house rules. She has all these things that we have to do when we go there that keep us safe, that are very important for us to live a good life. But I didn't start there. I don't start there. I told her all the wonderful things that she has done. Same is true with our God and so much more. We must speak of the glorious deeds and the wonders that he has done. Before the law was given in the book of Exodus and before the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, we read God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Later in the psalm here in Psalm 78 and scattered throughout this entire psalm, we read about the glorious deeds and the wonders that God had done. Look with me at what Asaph tells the people starting in verse 11. 11. It says they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the seas and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a firing light. He split rocks in the wilderness and he gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down them like rivers. We must speak, we must speak, we must speak of the wonders that God has done, his glorious deeds and his might. But let me ask you this morning, in your home life, in your families, how are you doing this? How well do you speak of the glorious deeds and the wonders of God? If you love Jesus and you're a parent, how much do we have to tell our children of the glorious deeds of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So speak of the wonders that Jesus has done in your life. Tell of your salvation story. Do your children, does your family know your salvation story? Man, 
I know just in the five and a half years that I've been at Graceland, I have seen the glory of God. I have seen the wonders that he has done. And I know in the 50 years of Graceland, the 50 plus years, there have been so many wonders and glories that he has done. Do people know about that? Does your family know about it? Do your kids know about it? If not, guess what? You need to tell them. We need to speak and just be reminded, it's not by our power that we speak, but rather just because of our devotion to God that we share of his glorious deeds. Second, in our homes, we need to foster a home life that shows. So we foster a home life that speaks, but we must also foster a home life that shows. Let's look at verse 5. It says that God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So in addition to speaking in our homes about God, we show our children, we show those in our family about God and what it looks like to follow after him. We teach them how to live according to this right here. We teach them how to live according to this. Not only is it our privilege, but it is our responsibility to show our children, to show our families who God is from his word. I'll regularly say to our parents when I was in student ministry, which was just a couple weeks ago, um, but I'll regularly say to our parents, you are the primary spiritual nurturer in the life of your child. It's our privilege to come alongside and partner with you in ministry. I totally believe that. I completely believe that. However, there's a sobering survey that was done by the Barna Group. The Barna Group is a leading marketing research firm focused on the intersection between faith and culture. They said this, 85% of parents with children under age 13 believe they have primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. However, Majority of parents don't spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or studying religious matters with their children. Parents generally rely upon the church, their church, to do all of the religious training their children will receive. I get it. I get it. Many of you, many of us, think that we are ill-equipped to lead our families in studying the Bible learning about Jesus, showing who Jesus is and teaching him from his word. And if this is you, know that you're not alone. However, let me reiterate this to you this morning. It is not about your ability, but rather about your availability. When I was a kid, my dad, he put me in every sport imaginable. Four years old, he put me in baseball. And guess what? He was my coach. Four years old, he put me in soccer. Guess what? He was my coach. Five years old, he put me in basketball. And guess what? He wasn't my coach. He's 5'7". But <laughs> he would have been my coach. Now, the reason, the reason my dad was my coach wasn't because he was proficient in all of these things. In fact, soccer wasn't something he grew up with, didn't know anything really about soccer. But you want to know why he was my coach? Because he was committed to me learning how to play soccer. He knew it was important. Are you being a coach in your home life? Are you showing your family what it looks like to follow after Jesus the best you can? Do you show and teach Jesus to your children, to your grandchildren? 
Finally, we see from this passage that we should foster a home life that sustains. We foster a home life that speaks the wonders of, of God and of Jesus Christ. We foster a home life that, that shows us how to study his word and follow after his law. And finally, we foster a home life that sustains. Let's look again at verses six and seven. It says that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. I absolutely love these verses. Tells us that the next generation, we speak, we show, so that the next generation might do three things. That they might know God, that they might set their hope in God, and that they might keep his commandments. I believe that this is God's aim for every single person. And if this is God's aim for every single person, it should be our aim for our families, that every family member might know God. And friends, this is a complete, a complete sustainment, complete full body sustainment. We know God in our minds. We love God in our hearts. And therefore we set our hope in Jesus Christ. And this love, this knowledge is then manifested in our actions. And this is how we keep his commandments. This sustains us for our life. And not only for our life, but it sustains our family for this coming generation and for many generations to come. Our hope, our faith in Jesus Christ is what sustains us. And that must be central in our family and home life. May we foster home life situations that sustain the coming generations so that they will never forget the works of God and specifically never forget the work of Jesus Christ and his, his, res, his resurrection. This morning, if, if you've said yes to any of these things, if you're thinking in your mind, okay, pastor, that sounds great, like, I want a home life that, that speaks, that shows, one that's going to sustain for generations to come. If you're saying, okay, this sounds great, yet how do, I, how do I do that? Where do I start? If I want to get going tomorrow, what do I do? Well, I want to share with you one way, just one way. While there are so many, I want to share with you one way that you can do this in your home, and it's this. Commit to having regular family worship. Commit to having regular family worship. Worship. Now, family worship goes by many names, family devotionals, um, just getting together and reading through God's word. Um, but I like to call it family worship. And if you've never heard of family worship, then listen in to this. Take some notes, write it down. If you know of family worship, but you're not practicing it, take some notes, write it down. Start tomorrow. If you are doing family worship, then I praise you. Continue in that and may that sustain in your family. But I want to break down for you exactly what family worship looks like. First, family worship includes worship through song. Includes worship through song. So, this means singing and praises to our God, singing of his sovereignty, of his goodness. This means singing praises to Jesus Christ for his sacrifice on the cross, for his resurrection from the grave. In our family, what this looks like is typically two to three songs. Two to three songs. Sing these, not, be, not just because it makes you feel good, which is a, a good byproduct of it, but sing these because God is worthy of our praise. He deserves our praise, not just here on Sundays, but all the time. So sing praises at home. Second, Bible reading. Read his word. 
Make scripture paramount in your family. All right? It's not your words that should have authority over your family's lives. It's God's word that should have authority over your family's lives. How do we do that, though, if we're not making it central, if we're not reading it to our family? For us, we like to do what we call a psalm of the day. 150 songs, pick, pick a psalm, read through that in your family worship time. Maybe for you, it's reading a proverb that day. Maybe for you, it's just reading one verse. Go through a book of the Bible, but make scripture paramount in your home. Finally, third is prayer. Prayer, communicate with God. Prayer isn't just meant for before dinner time and before bed. Prayer is meant to be having a conversation with God all throughout the day. And so pray with your family, all right? Show your family how you pray. Pray out loud. For us, we like to use the ACTS acronym in my family. It works out well. There are four of us, and there are four letters to this acronym. So it's A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. And what we do is, is we let our kids choose first what they want to do. So my son, Roman, he always picks adoration every time. So cute. He's like, adoration, got it. But we pray. We're teaching them what it looks like to pray as a family. All three of these elements, I believe, will help you to foster a home life that speaks, shows, and sustains. And while family worship can be so much more than that, it should be nothing less. It should be nothing less. Now, some of you in this room, you're saying to yourself, that's great. You're a pastor and everything. You know what I mean? That's cool for you, but it really doesn't work. And you've got some objections in your mind. And I want to address a few of those with the last couple minutes that we have. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're saying, we don't have time. There's not even a time when all of us can, can get together. My dad always tells me, it's not that you don't have time, it's that you don't make time. Let me give you an example. If I were to give each person in this room $1 million to have family worship regularly, guess what would happen? Every person in this room would have family worship regularly because I'd be giving you $1 million. Now, that's because your priority for family worship has now changed. All right? If you, if you take away that million dollars, how much more valuable is it for your family to grow up to know and to love Jesus Christ? So make it a priority. Make family worship a priority. Some of you may think my family's too small. Um, I'm the only one in my family. Our family is too diverse. Well, I would just encourage you with some of the issues that we've had in our family with family worship. All right, when, when Jenny and I were just a two, a pairing of two, family worship was much easier. You know, I play guitar and sing. We, we could do these things together. And then we had our daughter, Evie. And as a baby, just having her in the room without crying or having to go change her or something was an issue. But we kept that foundation. Fast forward to when she's a toddler, and now we have another baby in Roman. Makes things even tougher. Now they're seven and three. And if we can get through family worship without Roman throwing a car or jumping off the bed, we have succeeded. You're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. You're going to have distractions. But you got to hold fast to it. Make it a priority. Tailor it to your family. Maybe, maybe that means you have two different worship times if you have differing schedules where both spouses can't be together. Whatever it is, make it happen. Finally, some of you, most of us, might be saying, I'm not good enough to lead my family in worship. I can't play guitar. I can't sing. I don't know enough about the Bible. That's okay. 
That's okay. Family worship won't be perfect, but it's vital. It's vital. And I believe that you can do it. And might I remind you, it's not about your ability, but rather your availability.